0: Hey, who made you with this, Jackie? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Christ on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. And I'm a man. Episode 115. It's the week uh, comics shit themselves, <laughs> twitched, shrieked Excelsior into the void, rolled over, <laughs> and possibly died. Yeah, what the fuck? It's it's been an ugly week uh, for both Marvel and DC. I mean, if you listened to last week's show, number one, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. (laughs) I at least was in rare fucking form, just based on the spoilers. Uh, And again, uh, spoilers are going to be throughout this uh, program for uh, DC Universe Rebirth number one, and Steve Rogers' Captain America number one. Yeah. (laughs) We'll talk about them in uh, much more detail toward the end of the show, but... Yeah, when the spoilers came out last week about Dr. Manhattan being (laughs) in DC Rebirth.
1: And then... uh... The idea that there are three jokers and
0: one of them might be the comedian. Oh my! Well, we didn't talk about that in last week's show because that that was was on Facebook.
1: Thank you, Facebook person.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, actually, uh, that came from uh, that rumor was from uh, Rich Johnston on uh, Bleeding Cool, and I think he was just speculating. And as soon as he said it, I'm like, "You motherfucker! That's what they're gonna do. That's exactly what they're gonna fucking do. God damn it!" And having read the book. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's it's pretty clear that's the direction they're going to go in. We'll, we'll we'll talk about it. Followed by Batman finding the
1: comedian's pen randomly in the
0: Batcave. Well, that's uh, we'll talk about that. I think that's part of the hint that the comedian will be one of the Jokers. And, and I'm sure it makes total sense to everybody who was involved in the book. <laughs> I'm sure Dan DiDio and Bob Harris are going, this is going to save us, man. When the rest of us are out here going, oh, why, why'd you do it? What do you need money? Money for drugs? Is this opiate abuse? It, are you drunk? We I'm... took
1: the fine Colombian, normally snorted at this DC retreat, and replaced it with meth. Let's see what happens.
0: <laughs> Haven't slept in days. <laughs> 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 the three jokers. <laughs> Jesus, why do you say that? I'm still triple Does anybody hear that grinding sound? Jesus, Dan, your that teeth are falling out.
1: Can't <laughs> stop my hands
0: from shaking. I want to take apart the computer. <laughs> See if there are bugs in it! <laughs> it's as good an explanation as any, man. Oh, jeez. <laughs> between that and the shit show reveal in Captain America, that I don't know what the motivation is beyond we need something big to steal the rage wind out of DC's sails.
1: Hey, we just had a major movie, Captain America Civil War, in which... Captain America comes off as as this you know winner, because everybody was Team Cap, and of course he's for freedom of ideas and, and of people and of personal liberty. Let's reveal him to be... Spoilers.
0: <laughs> do you want to hold off and yeah. talk about that toward the yeah. end of it? Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, Nick Spencer. <laughs> two comics that just seemed hell-bent for leather. <laughs> the, it's like the big two think that we comic fans shit on the floor... And they want to rub our noses in it, so we learn exactly who's alpha. Ugh. And it's them. I bought both of them. <laughs> they were both on my polls. I specifically asked for them ahead of time. You, you know, when when you're
1: on the internet and people put up posts of something graphic, like, and then they say something like, don't click on this, and it's...
0: Not safe for life. Yeah, like kinda... you're
1: back when rotten.com was in its heyday or some shit like that. Like, you know, guy who lost his face in a motorcycle accident and is still somehow alive and don't click this. Yeah. That's how I felt after reading both these comics. <laughs> and in and in the case of Captain America, I knew cuz I was spoiled and I read it anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I that, that's the thing. I wasn't spoiled on that one, so I got to the end of it and it was almost exactly the reaction you had when I showed you the spoiler <laughs> picture last week of Batman with a comedian pin, it was, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. It's, yeah. Uh, it's like they went out of their way to, uh, this will piss them off, Then <laughs> they'll pay us anyway. But there was some positive this week. There was some legitimate was? positive. Well, uh, yeah. not <laughs> in the actual world of the printed comic book so much. Oh,
1: you mean in the world of, of uh, televised media, where... In some cases, they're doing superhero comics better than actual comics. (laughs) Uh, In
0: in several cases these days, but this was not even an actual superhero comic. I know. Preacher has finally been adapted into something. (laughs) Finally hit AMC after years and years of rumors of a variety of different platforms it was going to be on. Development Limbo. Yeah, Development Hell (laughs) is more like it. So yeah, it's uh, last week we taped the show and d- immediately went over to to watch it and we rewatched it again today. Thank you, TiVo <laughs> technology. It it works, bitches. I don't. know. <laughs> I'm a little tired did today. You, did
1: you science the shit out of the TV?
0: <laughs> uh, yes, I plugged a cable that a smart person <laughs> built into a box that a different smart person built, and I watched it on a TV that mm. smart people built. I'm wicked smart.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you really are.
0: Uh, oh, and, and by the way, the continuing saga of major university, oh they're, they're trying to make <laughs> me an offer. It's <laughs> just a quick side note. Last week, it's like, we want more references than any human being has ever had. Like, I was vetted more strongly than some vice presidential candidates <laughs> have been. It took them all week, and finally they confirmed, yes, we got the last reference on Wednesday, and an offer will be forthcoming. And Thursday came and went. <laughs> And Friday came, and this is a long weekend of the United States. It's Memorial Day weekend. So, so
1: yeah, at major university, sometime around noon, everybody said, "Yeah, fuck this, we're going to the Cape."
0: Uh, apparently. <laughs> and at my new job, they said everyone gets released at three, so I was at the bar by three uh, twenty. And yeah, at five twenty, my phone rings. I'm like, I can't answer this. <laughs> I got some major university. They think they know me. They don't know me. So I let it go to voicemail. We're desperate to talk to you. It's, uh, really? <laughs> it's I'm desperate. fucking weeks?
1: I'm desperate right now to do some Mezcal shots. We'll have to do this later. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so I, I, I will speak to them uh, on Monday, and we'll have the uh, final denouement of the major university story then. Yeah. But in, in the meantime... It gives
1: too. me another week to continue to cultivate my
0: call habit. <laughs> <laughs> Why wait? Uh, let's go right now. This has been episode 115 of the- <laughs> Right, so okay. <laughs> That's right, we haven't talked about Preacher yet. We should talk about Preacher. Preacher was a book, I read it as it was coming out in the 90s. It's, and this is before, Amanda, you and I knew each other. But did you read it before it was out in complete trade paperbacks? No,
1: or? I came to it when it was in trade paperbacks. Actually, it was one of the... First conversations about comics you and I had. I called you out of the blue. You were you were out with a Trebuchet.
0: Uh, yes, drinking and... <laughs> heavily. Actually, no. We were at the Museum of Science for yeah. some fucking reason. Yeah.
1: Why would you do that?
0: Uh, I was sober. too early to drink heavily. I don't know. But <laughs> and, anyway. I, and I was at a,
1: a Newbury Comics of all places. They they kind of sell comics. Yeah. If if when you're, they're not selling
0: goth things. <laughs> if you're not from Boston or New England, there is a big chain of stores called Newbury Comics that. Really doesn't sell any comics. They got like one shelf in the back. Yeah. You know, you go past the affliction t shirts and the cure t shirts and the uh novelty vibrators and shit like that and they'll have like five comics in the back. Like yeah. like a, a shelf of trades.
1: So I, I called you looking for, for- Trade advice, and and you pointed me towards preacher. I said, I think I want to buy this. And You are like, you should buy that. I am like, okay, I am going to buy that. <laughs> That's pretty much the conversation. <laughs>
0: it's
1: a thinly veiled excuse to to call you. and, so, oh, <laughs> and
0: I appreciate that. It has worked out very well. Yes, it me. has. Uh, see, I read it. Uh, I got it. I think starting with the second trade, hmm. uh, I picked it up, and actually, fuck it, a Newbery Comics. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for something to read at lunchtime, and I picked it up. And uh, but after that, I started reading it with with every issue. And and yeah, it's I've I've said before, by the mid-90s I wasn't reading anything but Vertigo books. Mm. You know, after Spider Clones and Dead Superman and Asbats and shit like that. I'd half checked out. And by the end of the nineties, I was pretty much down to just one, and it was Preacher. Now in college I was a big Hellblazer fan, but that was when Garth Ennis was writing it. And when he left the book to start Preacher, I only kind of checked in sometimes because Paul Jenkins' run on that really didn't do a hell of a mm. lot for me. Then you know, it was it was all about the the Ennis and that Balls, and so yeah, for a good three years toward the end of my twenties, the only comic book I was reading on a regular basis was Preacher. To the point where, when it ended, I was yeah, like twenty nine, I think, hmm. and I had a very conscious conversation with myself of, all right, am I am I done with comics? I mean, this is the last one I was reading.
1: Well, if you're gonna go out on any book. <laughs>
0: And that's kind of what I was thinking. So like, well, I don't know what Ennis is going to do next. I'm not sure it's going to get any better than this, but it's a, I made a conscious choice. Yeah, I went to New England Comics in Brookline mm. and walked around until I found something, and it was uh, Warren Ellis' Transmetropolitan. Yeah. So that was then the final bridge to keep me going until 2000 when M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable came out, and I liked that movie enough. It's like, well, let me see what's going on with superhero comics, and by then... Yeah, Joe Quesada was editor, well, Bill Jameis was editor-in-chief, but Quesada was up at the top of Marvel Comics. Yes. Dan DiDio had just come in, so everybody was, frankly, staring down the barrel of bankruptcy, and suddenly they were doing interesting shit with superhero comics again.
1: And you and I got together.
0: Yes. (laughs) And we both like comics, and that certainly has has continued. Yes. It hasn't kept us together. The alcoholism, I guess, (laughs) has done that. (laughs) Shared codependency. (laughs) (laughs) But, Where's my whiskey funnel? So yeah, it, Preacher, in a very real sense, is what kept me in comics during a really dark period for the big two. Mm. So it's it's a comic that, on one hand, it's like, it, at, a, at one point it meant everything, and now it, it still means a lot to me, but not in the same way it did when it was coming out. Yeah. Because... You know, the Preacher comic book is about a guy in his 20s. He's on the road with his best friends. He's doing nothing but drinking and smoking and kind of living outside regular society trying to find something. And it's kind of hard for me to even believe from 2016 and the expanse and comfort of the Crisis on Infinite Midlives home office and compound and armed <laughs> camp. But yeah, when Preacher was new, I was in my 20s. I had a shithole apartment in southeastern Massachusetts, but I was hardly ever there. I spent half my time almost living out of my damn car doing comedy shows. Yeah. So I'd not be home for days at a time. You know, I'd show up at these places, and some of my best friends were doing the shows with me, You know, looking for the same kind of out-of-society life that I was. None of us could afford any better than a one-bedroom apartment, but we could all afford fucking liquor and cigarettes. And in the 90s, you could smoke anywhere. <laughs> It was fucking glorious. It's never gotten better for me. So, so yeah. I mean, it, it, the book connected in a very in your twenties kind of sense. And you say that with security and healthcare. I know. <laughs> But it's at the time, it, it connected with that sense that, you know, yeah, settling down is a sucker's game. And if you have kids, it's just a yeah. trap you in a shitty fucking job that you hate. And the, the best you can hope for is uh, I'll just make rent on this shithole that I never go to to live in. And I'll just have shit-faced adventures with my buddies. And it's it, it connected very well with that at the yeah. time. And it's it still kind of connects me because in a very real way, you and I never really outgrew that. No. I mean, we're not married. That I, I would rather be run over by a steamroller than have kids. And <laughs> I certainly hope that you feel that we've been very honest with each other about the we, kids we, thing. We have, yeah. I'm Pretty I mean,
1: honest, you know. Every week when I say on the show, children are death.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it, baby. You're the best. Yeah, I mean we we bought the home office together, but you know we don't have to worry about Parker, the Crisis on Infinite Midlives mascot, asking to go to college. No, so we can kind of treat our jobs. They're more important to us than they were in our 20s, but they're also they're kind of disposable. If they start to suck, you can say, fuck you, and move on to the next one. That's exactly what I've done in the last two months. <laughs> to be honest, yeah, there's a certain amount there, but when it, you know waking up with like blood on your face and ashtray mouth and wondering you know, where exactly you fucking are, it kind of loses its appeal when you get old enough that the pain isn't gone by the time the bars open the next afternoon. That's starting to happen... So you can't live like a king hoodlum the way I used to and the way you used to, but we still kind of push that lifestyle as much as we physically can.
1: Yeah. I have these whole stretches where I say, you know, I'm really tired of waking up after two bottles of Chardonnay with a hangover. I think tonight I'm going to go with a good fistful of whiskey. I'm just going to sip on that slowly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If that's as grown up as we get, we've done well for ourselves. I mean, it's I just physically I don't have that much madness. Uh, last night I stayed up until like midnight drinking and watching a movie. I thought I was gonna die all day today. I needed a nap.
1: Yeah, whereas the mask, I'll put me to bed by nine, so I kind of feel bad about me. Well, <laughs> yeah, you
0: know, the the spirit. I feel like
1: my 25 year old self is looking at me going, "You pussy." <laughs>
0: <laughs> my 25 year old self didn't have liver damage. This is half his fucking fault. So he could <laughs> suck it. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, the, based on that, the book still does connect with me. But it doesn't the way it did when I was living, you know. Certainly not that life, but a, a toned down version of that kind of life. And I was thinking, this is the most important thing I'm ever going to read in my <laughs> fucking life. I mean, have you reread it recently? I, I have. I reread it like a year ago, and I reread just the first issue after we watched the pilot today.
1: Honestly, I, I haven't. I've been working my way through some other books from way back in my my youth. So I do want to reread it because now that I've seen the pilot twice there are clearly some things that they've taken liberties with and I want to go back and sort of see how that fits with the book. Okay. Not in a, it's and it's not in the bad way. I I will say this, Seth Rogen and his other um executive producer Evan Goldberg. Clearly this is a labor of love for them. So even having watched the pilot twice, one time sober. Um <laughs> <coughs> I don't know why we did that. Yeah, um I, there i didn't really find anything that was tonally out of place even when it was something that was embellished upon and not in the
0: original yeah which honestly kind of surprised me again because we're talking about Seth Rogen and Evan fucking <laughs> Goldberg yeah like i said before the people who brought you super bad <laughs> uh, yeah and pineapple express yeah. and goon and <laughs> fucking green hornet for Christ's sake yeah yeah, when this was announced, it was back in 2013. The first real rumor came out, and I think we had a story on it when we were just a print website. Yep. It was just, just some. Just a print website. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what can I say? We've gone multimedia, baby. <laughs> we, we, we've got this uh, neat soundboard. <laughs> they got my dick message. Like we can just do random shit. <laughs> yes, you can. We're state of the art. <laughs> Next, VR. Oh God! Not nobody wants that. Yeah, nobody needs to see me in fucking three. Nobody needs to see me at all. You know when We're... they
1: talk about face for radio, I, I
0: don't... Hey, fuck you, man. <laughs> I was fuck talking about you. me. <laughs> oh, that's bullshit too. <laughs> Come on, stop that shit. <laughs> but... Like Nobody
1: wants to see my doughy ass on VR. <laughs> it's like that video you showed me of the girl playing the zombie game on virtual reality, <laughs> swatting at shit, and screaming. That would be me. Just... Hi, this is Amanda, and welcome to Crisis on Midlife. <laughs> <laughs> Infinite I can't even tell her any our name anymore. Where am I? Where are my pants? Yeah, like...
0: see, it was a bigger night than usual last night. I, th- I think we did well. I, mean, I think we acquitted ourselves well. But to the point, I had to do laundry right after. That's that's been a rarity on a fucking Friday night. That hasn't happened since I was about twenty seven. Yeah.
1: So... good work, sir. Yeah.
0: And yet, I don't think we sound low energy. Um, certainly I certainly don't think sounds like I want to nap and then perhaps roll over and die.
1: It's <laughs> uh, the fatigue hysteria. It's the weird burst of energy you get before the absolute collapse.
0: No, it's the hair of the dog brought to you by the Berkshire Brewing <laughs> Company, Steel Rail Pale Ale. That's right. Still waiting for those endorsement dollars, guys. <laughs> or cases of beer. He's yeah, not really partial. That's fine. That's uh, more money in my pocket. Either way. <laughs> But yeah, it's, even when they announced it, and the announcement came by way of some dude at a comic store, I think in New York, who who said somebody came in who'd never, he'd never seen before in like a suit and tie and asked for everything he had on Preacher. And he said, oh, do you hear anything about this? He's like, oh, for the amount of money we paid on it. <laughs> so it's like, okay, so he did this comic store clerk <laughs> got the scoop on Preacher coming out. But even when that was announced, it's like, this is never going to fucking happen because it's been in development for fucking years. It was supposed to be a movie in 1998, where Ennis was writing the script. It fell through. Kevin Smith got involved. He tried to pitch it to Miramax. Fell through again. It was going to be a movie again in 2001 with uh, James Marsden, the guy who played Cyclops, I think, in, uh, uh, in the first X-Men. Thank Christ that didn't happen. Yeah, he was supposed to play Jesse, but the money fell through. In 2006, HBO commissioned the fucking director of Daredevil, again, Mark <laughs> Steven Johnson, interesting, to do a pilot. But by the time it started to get close... Upper management at HBO apparently had turned over, and they said, "Yeah, we don't need the angry fucking emails about uh, a dude trying to hunt God down." Um, at HBO, really? Yeah, apparently. Is this before True Blood, uh, <laughs> two thousand eight, uh, right around that time, I guess. <laughs> right around that time. Okay. Maybe, maybe they said, uh, "No, we can only we can only take angry naked vampire letters from one fucking show." I don't know. <laughs> well, please God, don't let me see fucking Cassidy naked. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, 2008 it was supposed to come out. Uh, Sam Mendes, who directed the last two James Bond movies, was supposed to do it. He dropped out because he could never figure out an angle to adapt it. So then, yeah, this announcement came, and I was like, oh, yeah, the guys who did Pineapple Express, thats this is certainly going to bode well. <laughs> you know, It felt like the announcement back when I was 17 of, yeah, the guy who directed Beetlejuice is going to do Batman. I was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I should have known better because that worked out. It did. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like it worked out. The premiere was Sunday. It looks like it did okay in the ratings. It got a, a 0.9, which sounds awful. I don't know anything about TV ratings. I, <laughs> neither, neither do I, but I know what Google.com is. Ah. So <laughs> apparently it was the second highest rated pilot on basic cable this year. Your Google foo is mighty. Yes, uh, only one that rated higher was People versus O.J. Simpson. That, uh, I think, hit a 2.0.
1: That's sitting on our VCR unwatched.
0: Uh, I know, we'll, we'll get to it. I heard good things. You're the one who likes fucking, what's his name, Ryan Murphy and that fucking... I don't... All right. That makes it seem like
1: I watched a lot of Glee, which I didn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but every fucking October, I get hit in the head with American Horror Story. There's six episodes of Scream Queens of all things on the TiVo. That's better than you're giving it credit. Uh, it would have to be because I'm <laughs> not giving it any credit. But yeah, this one's actually supposed to be good. And it's the only one we haven't watched. So... So yes, it's out. It's finally a thing. What's your first impression? Because I got nine pages of notes. I can go on forever. <laughs> so.
1: um, I, I enjoyed it. On both occasions watching it, found myself for the most part watching it without feeling the need to suddenly analyze or draw really a critical eye to things. I just really enjoyed going for the ride, which to me
0: says that they did their job. Now that you mention it, yeah, both times we watched it. We've talked on the show before about back in, was it 2001, first watching the Smallville pilot <laughs> and me just shit-faced out of my head on red wine screaming, that's not fucking continuity, and I really didn't have that reaction at all with this, and there's a lot here that is not from the comic book, or that has been modified from from the comic book. So
1: yeah, and and also we we've done that with other things too um, that that weren't even as good as Smallville, like the pilot Arrow. <laughs> Oh, my God, yeah. But I live-tweeted shit-faced. Yeah,
0: you, you live-tweeted that to the point where some of our early fans are like, dude, you got to at least give it a chance.
1: Just getting names wrong, and then I would just defiantly, no, his name's Dick,
0: for Diggle. For the, <laughs> like... for the whole episode, we thought Diggle was good. We thought we were calling him Dick. So I was like, you showed Dick some respect.
1: Which was funny, because I was drunk. Well,
0: funny to me. I was drunk, too, so that worked out. But Cron- then yeah. <laughs> Perfectly <crummy, Joe>. show. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't have any kind of reaction uh, like that with with preacher. I did th- I did once. Uh and it was right at the very beginning. Mm. And it was it was just a gut reaction where the first shot is just outer space with giant subtitle. Outer <laughs> space. I'm like, "Oh, you're going to fucking pussy out and you're going to make this. It's not a god thing. It's a fucking alien thing."
1: They we well we still don't really know for sure.
0: I went, the uh, again, I spent some time on Google after this, and okay. some of the the casting notices, um, yeah, it's uh, the two dudes who kept showing up at churches mm-hmm. when they would get Genesis or whatever they're going to call it in this show and then uh, explode, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, <laughs> I thought they were Grail, okay, uh, but it turns out it looks like they're the Adelphi of oh. uh, Fiori and the Blank okay. who All right. allowed Genesis to escape, escape. In the comic book. And supposedly, the Saint of Killers has been cast. Right. So we're going to have at least something that calls itself Angels and the Saint of Killers.
1: Do we Do we know who Saint of Killers is yet? Because the weird thing, is, if you've not read the comic book, they they very much go out of their way to make Saint of Killers Clint Eastwood, <laughs> which is weird because Clint Eastwood still exists in the world. So...
0: <laughs> yeah, and... Uh... Clint, however, is uh, too busy talking uh, to chairs, talking to chairs, and and casting rubber babies in his movies about snipers. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, you know what? I've got his name here somewhere. I don't know where in my notes I put it. Well,
1: we'll get to it, but I just wanted to put that there. (laughs) Yeah. So the only, I mean, the second view through, because I I did see it sober. Um, I'm sorry I keep saying that. It's like a knife in my heart. Damn fool. Uh, I I did find myself kind of going, you know, this seems to be about uh, children and the effects the adults in their lives, parents particularly have on them. And then it occurs to me, having actually read the comic book spoilers, this is really about how one son tracks down the father of all God to call him to account for the effect he has had or not had by his absence on his life. So, you get a lot in this pilot of, you know, a, a kid, spoiler, uh, I'm going to Jesse to say, hey, can you kill my daddy's an asshole?
0: <laughs> he didn't say kill him, he just said fuck him up real good, yeah. or something like that.
1: Um, and you, you get, and this is one of the things I don't think was in the comic book, the Tulip de- debut was this glorious thing where she just corrupts a couple of children.
0: Oh, those kids are ruined <laughs> Forever. It's uh, that little girl is gonna make some man very happy until he hears the crack of his own bones,
1: yeah, and likewise that boy is never going to be happy with a straight, normal girl. Well,
0: that guy's gay now <laughs> he's gay he's like it's not getting better than this. Let's see what's on the other side. We'll just start over,
1: so those are just a couple examples um there and and then the effect of um Jesse's father's death on Jesse and the promise he made to to his dad. <laughs>
0: yeah which is just clearly just broken the son of a bitch
1: yeah so there's uh, i would stop short of saying it was heavy-handed but on the the second watch with clear eyes it's like all right i see where the, i see what they're laying down
0: <laughs> yeah no absolutely and, and we can talk in some more detail about that coming up for me sort of at a really high level preacher has always been sort of a mix of a a crime thriller mm-hmm. and, and a western And I think the pilot catches that. I mean, crime story elements, you know, you got a man with a checkered past who rolls back into town and wants to find redemption, but he's weak. There's a beautiful woman trying to knock him off the straight and narrow back into crime. And there's a shadowy organization with big resources that wants to destroy the both of them. Because, yeah, the big tulip MacGuffin that (laughs) that gets her into it is she's trying to steal this map. And when we finally see, see the map, it says Grail Industries and let's face it, even if it wasn't the Grail, whoever it was, sent a fucking attack helicopter after Tulip. Two... <laughs> <That's... laughs> I
1: want to build a bazooka now. <laughs> now that I've seen the pilot. like Clearly, um, it involves some paint cans, of which we have several after uh, <laughs> renovating this place. Yep. Just need to get some army men and some moonshine.
0: Moonshine, I might be able to help you. Think, Funny that
1: you ask. I think um, also we have the duct tape. so <laughs> tape We just need got. army men. We just... <laughs>
0: Lead army men. The plastic one won't do it. You need lead ones. So,
1: yeah. Start shooting at the neighbors. Let them understand what they've let into this neighborhood.
0: (laughs) As long as we pay our condo fees, there's nothing we can do. There's no need to escalate to that level of violence, except it would be extremely fucking funny.
1: Stop parking in that forbidden area, Larry. (laughs) Your minivan goes in the guest space.
0: (laughs) Yeah. A handful of nails will do the same thing. Let's let's not over-escalate on these people. Because I'm fucking lazy, I'm (laughs) I'm tired, and I'm just covered in greasy sweat from drinking heavily last (laughs) night, and the beer's only beginning to help, so (laughs) can we kill the neighbors next week?
1: (laughs) That dog looks larger than 25 pounds, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Condo Association regs is nothing bigger than 25 pounds. Don't don't be a rules (laughs) Nazi,
0: there's nothing worse (laughs) than a rules Nazi, come on now. Yeah,
1: we'll talk about Nazis later.
0: Yeah, oh oh, oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah, back to the crime story thing. Yeah, it had all that noir dialogue. The one that stuck out to me was, "I don't hate you, Tulip. I wouldn't know how. Then don't yeah. make me teach you." Like, these are all that's all that shit put together is as film noir as it fucking gets. Yes, and from the western side, duh, it's set in Texas. Mm-hmm. So everything looks like a fucking Western. They'd have to be in New Mexico to make it look any more Western, and Breaking Bad's already got that covered. Yeah. So Albuquerque doesn't need the extra dough from AMC. <laughs> They'll take it. Oh, they will. Because they got a ton full of meth heads, that they got support. <laughs> but yeah, and it's you know, I think they've already set up, just by seeing Quincannon meet in power, yep. that Jesse will wind up being the sheriff. I mean, particularly... With Sheriff Root there, we know eventually Jesse's going to give him the old go fuck yourself, which means it'll open the job up. <laughs> it so, sure will. <laughs> and yeah, the baddest motherfucker in the world, there's his name. Graham McTavish is playing Saint of Killers. I don't know who he is either, but I wrote the name down.
1: Probably another one of those English guys that are coming over here taking all of our American hero jobs or well, some they, shit. know. They, <laughs>
0: they sent one to be Jesse Custer. I know, so. I know. But yeah. Santa Killer's baddest motherfucker in the world is coming for a showdown. So you've got all the Western elements you want. Yep. So it it holds that same kind of overall feel that the comic did. And the comic always had that jet black sense of humor running through it Mm -hmm. that never, ever went away for the entire run of it. And there's a lot of that shit in this fucking show. Yes. Did any jump out to you? Or? Well,
1: the first thing was just um, as as the thing that may or may not ever be called Genesis is finding its way around the world. Yep. <laughs> um, it, it keeps trying to take take up host in people, and and they can't handle it, and they explode. One of whom is Tom Cruise. Apparently, that was
0: fucking <laughs> glorious. Yeah, just just showing up at the Scientology celebrity just center, picturing to blow. him
1: jumping up and down on a couch, and then all of a sudden, exactly. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, right from the beginning, I mean, we go straight from outer space to that preacher in Africa getting Genesis for a second. For a second. Always be a brother gets it first. <laughs> That's, see, my first thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally the second thing we see in the show is a dude exploding all over his congregation. Yeah. Like just huge gore.
1: And instead of being horrified, I laughed both times, like big belly laugh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, it's see, when Genesis hit this guy in this hole in the wall in Africa at supersonic speed and threw him into a wall, I'm like, Superman? <laughs> Is Lois laying in the basement? And and then when he blew up, I'm like, yeah, that's Zack Snyder's Superman. <laughs> he fucking killed him. And then, yeah, it's a, oh, always been... <laughs> the fucking redskin mascot fighting the chipmunk mascot just in the middle of the street with yeah. the whole town <laughs> cheers. Yeah, when... Tulip shoots the bazooka, and we see the pilot with just fucking lead army men sticking yeah, out of his forehead. head.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: The one I probably liked best was, and it, it took the reveal of the doors closing to show it was a satanic church in Russia. This guy is screaming, "Oh God, there was blood! It was horrible! So much blood and brains!" <laughs> and then it, then the doors close. It's like, "Oh my God, you're a satanic." Priest and clearly the worst, <laughs> just most weak stomachs. Who did you think you were worshiping? For God's sake, not
1: like sacrificing a goat, or so I've been told. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah it, it, just a ton of dark humor that's appropriate for a, a Garth Ennis type story. Yeah, you know, all through the thing. It's the one thing that is missing is the the road movie aspect of the comic.
1: Yeah, I do wonder when and or if they're going to get to that. Actually, one more thing I was going to point out is the the humor involved with Eugene, who will eventually become our Uh <laughs> Yep. When uh, when Jesse shows up finally to to meet with Eugene, and he's in the kitchen with Sheriff Root. Sheriff Root starts to put together like the world's worst smoothie with a magic bullet. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he's like it's just, like
1: meat and chipotle tabasco and ketchup and yeah, <laughs> he put
0: a like a steak and fries dinner just in the blender and yeah. stuck a big fest straw on it. And <laughs>
1: here's his dinner. You give it to him. Yeah.
0: Like. <laughs> yeah, it's just loaded with the the kind of humor that that this kind of story needs because it really does. Otherwise it would be oppressive. I mean, let's face it. You strip away all that Garth Ennis stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and it is a powerful man trying to hunt down God. Yeah. That's a a big, deep, ugly story A flawed man. It, with it really daddy is. Daddy issues.
1: But at some point there's going to be, and we haven't seen it yet, because there's so much story to tell. I just I'm looking forward to finally at some point just quietly hearing off in the distance <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh god. <laughs> I don't know if they'll have the balls to do that. I'm, just, I'm,
1: I'm not even gonna explain that. If you've seen if you read the book, you know what I'm talking
0: about. <laughs> yeah, and uh Uh, Jesus, if Seth Rogen thought it was ugly having North Korea after his ass, (laughs) go ahead, throw that on television and see what kind of fucking letters you get. You'll you'll be dunking all your mail into a fucking lead bag before you fucking open it up. Humperdoo, it's Preacher. (laughs) In the comic, we only spent about two issues in Anvil. Right. And By the way, I can't believe, I consider myself a smart guy, I cannot believe... In the 20 years since I first read Preacher, it never occurred to me that Anvil, A-N-N-V-I-L-L-E, was meant to be like Hammer and Anvil. <laughs> I never got the fucking play on words. I just read the name, just said, oh, the name of the town is Anvil. It's, it took me until watching this show to finally figure that out. I have no idea why. That's okay. I'm dumb. You figured it out. That's the importance. I'm an
1: alcoholic. I've got significant
0: problems. <laughs> So it looks like, however, we're going to spend some time in Anvil at least for now, which probably makes sense from a budgetary point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep everything in one place with a, a limited number of sets.
1: And there's a lot of story. So if they're if they're going to be doing more than one season, they can't go on the road right away.
0: Yeah, it's. A, I think they need to justify that. And let's face it, it's an AMC show. Yeah, they fall prey to that season two of Walking Dead. <laughs> fucking Herschel's farm for. <laughs> Ten out of sixteen fucking episodes. How long were they at the prison? <laughs> yeah, and it's it, it makes sense from a, a money point of view, but the the positive news is they they seem to be making some appropriate changes to some characters and some story to make that work out. Yeah. Like introducing Quincanon. Yeah, there's no reason that needed to be, and at this point it's been so uh, it's been a year since I've read the the entire thing all the way through. I forget what town that was in, salvation or something. Yeah. I don't even remember what state it was in. But there's no reason for that to be anything but Anvil. Why not keep that all in the same place and get that piece right out of the way? They're making character changes. Sheriff Root was a complete and utter racist, paranoid, hardcore redneck stereotype in the fucking comics. Screaming about UFOs and Martians. No, and well, he
1: does a little bit of that in this. I mean, he's not quite as overt, but he clearly knows his people, which is why he doesn't go out of his way to muck with the status quo when Jesse um, talks about his concerns about some domestic abuse going on in the community.
0: Oh, yeah. He, he's definitely not a good guy. No,
1: but as we approach the house, um, and <laughs> we finally meet Mrs. Root, who's <laughs> just a shattered shell of a woman, yep. Um He's ranting about conspiracy shit as Jesse approaches the
0: house. <laughs> Was he? I didn't yeah. <laughs> up on that. Okay, I, I missed that completely. So yeah. I, I guess that piece of it's still there. But yeah, he's he's not just so obvious a caricature, which gives them room to make him more and more of a dick yeah. over two or three episodes. Cause when they get to the the appropriate point, you know, it will give them the chance to give one of their AMC two-per-season mandated fucks to (laughs) give them the go-fuck-yourself. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like I said, that's going to have to happen because if they're really going to do the Cannon story and they really want to make it a crime Western, sure, why not start off with Jesse goes from failed preacher to lawman? Yeah. So... yeah. So they're making some, and they've introduced some characters. There was a, what's her name, who's uh, Jesse's right hand. Betsy? Uh, no, Emily. No, Emily, yeah, I'm sorry. I forget who Betsy was.
1: Betsy is the the wife who is um, being abused, but she likes it.
0: Oh, yeah, by Donnie. <laughs> and if this is really a Garth Ennis story, it her name would have been Marie. Yeah. So Donnie and Marie <laughs> could be having weird SM and sex.
1: They're married. They're
0: brother. They're sister. They're abusing each other. It's wacky. And the yellow rose of Texas w- <laughs> Now I can never go back to Texas. And you know what? That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) The only time I've been in Texas, I was in Austin. That's not really Texas, right?
1: I'd like to see Austin. I hear that it's lovely.
0: Austin was fun. I was tolerated perfectly well in Austin, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I had to drive through Waco to get there, and I kept my fucking head down. (laughs) Probably a good choice. Yes. So yeah, even though it's not going to be on the road, it looks like they're making changes to have it make more sense. Yeah, I mean, do we want to talk about the main characters at this point, or yeah, anything else you th- want to bring up in the meantime? No, or? let's let's get into it. All right, well, we'll start out with Jesse, and you and I have had this argument over and <laughs> over again, and my mind has kind of changed. But when I first heard that Dominic Cooper, who was the same guy who played Howard Stark in uh, Agent Carter, yeah, uh, when I heard he was going to be Jesse, my first reaction was, nope, too old, too fucking old.
1: And he's seven years younger than we are.
0: Yeah, he's like 38. Yeah, it's because
1: my initial thought was, you know, if you if you look at how Steve Dillon draws Jesse, my mind was, well, what what if we just got Walter Goggins? And you're like, well, Christ, no, he's way too old. Yeah, God, he's
0: our age. Oh no, Um, (laughs) yeah. And based on what they're doing here, I think yeah, he also probably would have been a good choice, at least character wise. Yeah, Uh, he even less has the look than Dominic Cooper really does. But it's it's not so much about the Lord. I mean, Jesus Christ, uh, who's the guy who's playing? i got to keep going back to my notes. Who's, who's the guy who's playing? Cassidy. Joseph Gilgan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't look like Cassidy. He's not wearing sunglasses all the time. And but Yeah, he's,
1: well, he's wearing them enough at the time.
0: <laughs> he puts them on enough so that you, know, you can get the sense of it. But yeah. but yeah, my first reaction with Cooper was too old because in my head, Jesse Custer was in his 20s. And that mattered to me at the time because I was in my 20s. But yeah, now I'm almost 45, Cooper's 38. Yeah, that seeming need that Jesse in the show has to go home and stay home and try to take care of his own people that he shows at least by the end of the episode, that's a much more adult sentiment yeah. than anything that you get in the comic. Although I do hear that there are um, older 20-somethings that demonstrate maturity far younger than uh, than we did. Yeah, well, they're pussies and more beer for me. Fuck <laughs> I, I never said I was was the, the paragon of adulthood. <laughs> Pause to get next beer. <laughs> I'm just saying as somebody with some more adult responsibilities than I had when I was 27. Yes. It's more relatable to me now than Jesse Custer was with that, fuck it, I gotta get out of here. Right. When I was a, a kid, fundamentally. Yeah. yeah. But also Jesse in Anvil here is different from the comic like I said I reread the first issue right after we watched the the show and in the comic we get that Jesse's got despair but that despair really seems to be over the fact that he's trying to preach to a bunch of inbred hicks who don't really give a shit about morality if you remember from the first issue yeah Jesse gets into a bar fight in air quotes but Mm -hmm. no he really gets drunk and goes into this bar and calls people out for being shit and he gets his ass kicked. Yeah. He doesn't fight back. This isn't this glorious bar fight that we get here where it becomes very clear in order to establish that all our three-man characters are badasses at different points in the episode mm. that where Jesse wipes out seven dudes.
1: Well, it's, a, it's that thing where if you really just wanted to get the hell away from where you grew up and you find yourself out of obligation having to go back you know, the level of resentment you have and, and not being able to look past how the world looked to you when you were angry enough to
0: leave. <laughs> yeah, and the, the thing is those feelings and those situations are much more those of an older adult than a teenager or somebody in their 20s. Because yeah, everything is about getting the fuck out yeah. when you're younger. It's when you get older, you're drawn back to whether it's your hometown or your parents or whatever, because as you get older, they get older. Eventually, you need to take some sort of hand in caring for them. And yeah, it's a much more adult situation of, shit, I had to come back here. Whether it be in the TV show where it's clearly, okay, my dad said be a good guy, and I'm trying to do what he said, and I never wanted to come back here, but I'm trying. Right. Or if oh my mom used to put cigarettes out on my neck and lock me in a coffin <laughs> and, and now she needs somebody to change her bag and why do i have to do this
1: <laughs> i don't know how much we're going to get into the character of ted <laughs>
0: we we can because it's it's very much on point in this kind of situation of yeah. a guy who who ran and can't get away yeah Uh, Ted was the dude, if you've seen the show, who was constantly bothering the preacher about, oh, my mother says I smell like sweat. And uh, she she calls
1: me at six o'clock at night. And doesn't she know that's my dinner time? She's the one that established dinner time. She's my mother, after all.
0: Yes. And I I can eat
1: whatever cheese I want. I
0: want want to watch Jeopardy! And uh, I'm going to put strychnine in the guacamole. And uh, in the end, he's the first victim of the word of God. Yes. But, yeah, that's no, it's exactly on point. He's a guy who ran and can't get away. Yeah. It's yet another case of your parents' adults fuck kids up.
1: Mm-hmm. Even into adulthood.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it was a perfect—the happiest he ever was was following the first two instructions <laughs> Jesse gave him in the Word of God. Be brave. Tell, Tell the, the truth. Tell the truth. Yeah, Open Your Heart. I still think Open Your Heart was in there because he can't give a go-fuck-yourself twice in a season because of AMC.
1: No, no. If Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it's kind of a different interpretation of Jesse in the TV show as more of an adult. I mean, in the comic, yeah, like I said, in the bar fight, Jesse gets his head kicked in. He's, he's trying to be a preacher. Yeah. He's, he's filled with despair because it is for people who don't care. It's he can't reach them. He's really trying. Yeah, you know, he, he doesn't it's not until Genesis and uh was it the Adelphi or is that a cable company? <laughs> were the angels.
1: I think you're right, Adelphi. Yeah,
0: but but they, they tell him that God's left his throne, that Jesse really gets pissed and starts to revert back to his more violent car thief type. When he's there in Anvil, he's really trying. Yeah. He wasn't going to the church that day to quit.
1: But they're even setting it up though they're setting it up because Jesse and his quest to be a good man is trying to seek forgiveness because what he preaches is, you know, God is always listening. He says to Eugene, God's always listening. Even if he's not answering back, he he does forgive you. There is no sin so great that God won't forgive you. if you just listen quietly, eventually you will hear him and Jesse never hears him. And then Genesis happens.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> this is the perfect timing for Genesis to happen. Yeah,
1: but so then this sets it up nicely for when he is eventually told that God has left his throne to to get angry because you know if I'm doing all these things if I'm if I've promised my dad I will be a good man and for what?
0: <laughs> yes, it's I'm um, just looking through my notes. There was an actual quote that I wrote down. Yeah, no, it's if there's. A mission statement for this show. It's yeah the line of the specific line of dialogue he says is no matter what you've done if you need him God has to be there. That's the whole point. And when he discovers God is not there, yeah, that's when that's when things go sideways. <laughs> he's apparently really going to revert to type because yeah, I mean in the show it's not even a revert to type in the show as opposed to the comic. He's barely holding himself back. Yeah. You know, tulips hold, you are who you are. He knows that. You know, he's holding back his true nature barely. He's a violent man who's lost his faith. He already thinks there's no God. Yeah. Whereas it took Genesis and the revelations of the angels in the comic to really set him off. He's halfway there already, which in its own way is more powerful and it's it's a more kind of adult situation of, well, this thing has happened to me, and I have a past, and I know who I am, and I'm trying not to be that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, then again, like I said, with Genesis going through outer space, everybody's got the chance to just make it sci-fi and keep God out of it, but I can't Not imagine. likely, yeah. I can't imagine they're going to do that. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, God damn it yeah, all right, he's older, but he's got a general look that's right.
1: They did a nice job with um character design, costume design, uh setting, lighting to to give you the sense of um the Glenn Fabry covers and the Steve Dillon interior art. There was a, there was a lot that was well informed by the comic.
0: Oh, absolutely. It, it definitely had the right look to it.
1: Yeah, a lot of underlighting with characters with large eyes that were well lined. Oh,
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> And no, part of what stuck out to me was uh, there was a particular shot where I'm like, no, if that was really film noir, it's when Jesse stands up at the bar and <laughs> says, don't you touch him. It's like, no, he should be in focus because we should see that this is important, what's going on behind fucking Donnie. And... But yeah, it's uh, the general look. You know, it went along with the comic book. But yeah, I don't need to. I've never been that big a fan of Steve Dillon's uh, faces. So
1: I, 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 yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying that they they've taken enough. You know that that kid, Donnie's kid, <laughs> yes, <laughs> looks like a
0: Steve Dillon character. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a uh, stereotypically cherubic, yeah, the, the baseball hat and the freckles, giant eyes, <laughs> giant fucking <bucket laughs> eyes. So any, anything else on Jesse? Uh, otherwise, I'll move to Cassidy. Let's before. let's move on. Yeah. All right. So. Cassidy didn't get as much of a sense of. We're going to clearly see more with him in upcoming episodes. There Mm -hmm. were a couple things I think they took shortcuts on yeah, uh, to tell, not show character uh, that we'll have to see uh, more specifically in in future episodes. I mean, it was a solid solid enough characterization by, uh, what is it, Gilgan? Joseph Gilgan. There there was certainly enough of the drunken devil-may-care guy that we saw from the book. And the ind- indestructibility—he he jumps out of a plane to escape, what appears to be
1: possibly the Grail or some Opus Lake organization that wants to kill him.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I've I'm of two minds about that because uh, in the comic book, if you remember, it took until the second or third issue for Cassidy to get hurt enough to try to drink blood before he found out he was a vampire. Yeah. Whereas here, it's just right out of the gate. It's okay. These are vampire hunters. You are not natural. Yep. Okay. You're draining that guy and jumping out of an airplane.
1: I feel like he did that though, more just to make a statement, or maybe possibly to fortify himself before he jumped out of the plane.
0: <laughs> very possible. I wouldn't. It makes sense to me.
1: Um, but uh, then, even you know, even then, when he, he craters the ground and he's got like fucking intestines everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then he eats a whole cow to heal. <laughs> that was very Cassidy. That would Yeah, that was very much in character. Uh, I think the guy has the voice right. Yeah. I don't know how accurate his Irish accent is. All I, all I, was, I do know is he was barely intelligible at times, so yeah, sure, he might have been. All accurate. I know is I was right with Jesse at that one point <laughs> in the bar where I'm like, mister, I can't understand a word you're saying sometimes. <laughs> I think I, I'm with the, fine, just show he's a vampire and get it out of the way and then, yeah, get to, okay, he can do these incredible things mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to the, the being coy with it. Right. Uh, The way they were in the comic. I approve. That worked for me. (laughs) And, you know, his charm is clearly there. You know, his ability and willingness to just make fast friends with people. We kind of see it, but not really. That's the part I think was glossed over. You know, we hear that when Genesis got to Jesse and he went down for three days, that Cassidy came by to check on him and then just immediately decided, okay, well, you need help around here. I'll fix your air conditioning. I'll do this. I'll do that. He makes himself needed, but that's something that he does
1: because it's a grift. Otherwise, he has to go on to the next thing and that could take a while. And he, the, see, he sees the opportunity and he takes it.
0: Uh, yeah, that willingness to make fast friends, and there's certainly a more selfish reason for it that we find out in the comics.
1: Right, but I'm I'm thinking ahead to... You know in the comics um, how things eventually go with tulip and how he tries to ingratiate himself to such a degree that she she needs him.
0: <laughs> and I am gonna have a problem with that when it happens because of the characterization of tulip that we've seen so far
1: in right this. so I'd be curious to see if they go that route but this immediate sort of ah oh, let me go check on you Oh okay, you're indisposed well I've, I've got at least until you wake up to get myself installed here so let's see <laughs> let's see how I do. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's. I guess there's a certain amount of that. To me, I took it as a tell-don't show. It's yeah. a, yep, okay, we're immediate friends, and that's sort of how he has operated throughout the centuries or decades anyway. Yeah, whereas it,
1: I took that as, you know, he, he's going to play it being friends, but he sees this as an opportunity to, to at least get a bed for a while
0: which is which is very possible. Look, it's we who've read the comic know that there is far more to Cassidy than meets the eye. Yeah. That you know, it Cassidy was meant particularly in the comic book to be, you know, look, when you're in your 20s and you're not married, your best friends are everything. And yeah, it's a, you'll lay in front of a bus for him. If so, you know, Jesse needed a character like that. Cassidy fit that bill perfectly. Sometimes your friends fuck you over, and that was another theme that we get. Yes. But it was it was meant to feel in the comic book more like genuine friendship, at least to start with. Absolutely. Clearly there are ulterior motives there. How much of them, how much of it is just Cassidy's broken, and in his mind, he, he doesn't want to believe how selfish he really is. It's also a possibility. Yeah. Well, I, you know, cause you, everyone's a hero of their own story. Yeah,
1: when you when you hear from... Emily, that yeah, he's, he's taken up residence in the attic. and He fixed the air conditioning. So what? You're going to go, Cassidy? I barely know you. You can't live here. But I fixed the air conditioning.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, particularly dudes. You know, guys can make friends quickly. Particularly in their tw- all it takes is a common interest in some beer. That's really it. <laughs> that's all it's <that's> required. So <laughs> I will take your word for it. <laughs> yeah. So with
1: and there's also the theme of broken people find each other,
0: and uh, certainly. Everyone involved, in the top three characters, is broken to one extent or another. At right. least in the comic book, how it plays out in the TV show is going to remain to be seen. Yeah, it's a. I made friends in comedy, who once I got out of comedy, I stopped talking to them because <laughs> that thing in common was gone. But yeah, I'd hang out with them, and mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, the stretch I'll do absolutely. Sure, I'll help you out. I'll help you move. <laughs> I'll get your car out of fucking repo, whatever. But once the common interest goes away, it's like, yeah, okay, that's that's just the nature of guy friendships, I think. And it becomes even different as you pair off and get older. Yeah. You know, I can count the number of guy friends I have right now on one hand. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I think we're going to have to see more with Cassidy. Mm-hmm. I, I think there was a certain amount here that, yeah, was left implied or they told us about. And yeah, there's a certain ambiguity there as to some of the motivations behind it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As there should be. Yes, particularly for that character. Yeah. So, Tulip.
1: This was the biggest question mark, because they, they decided they were going to cast against type in the comic book. She is this little blonde, petite bombshell, and uh, in the TV show, she is not.
0: <laughs> no. But
1: uh, the, the characterization, this is a, a charming young woman that you can very much believe uh, would be, drive you to do awful things that you would wake up regretting the next day, but it wouldn't matter because you had her, at least for now.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. it's Ruth Nega is perfect in this, and part of it is the writing and part of it is the performance, but (laughs) even more so in the comic, She's playing a legitimate badass who is exactly the type who would hang out with a fucking car thief for five years. Yeah. But more importantly, enough of a badass, she would then continue to keep doing that shit after he fucked off. Right. Wouldn't go home, wouldn't crawl into a bottle. It's like, well, this is my life, and if you don't want a part of it, go screw. Right. I'm going to keep doing this. And that's far more exciting to watch.
1: Oh, yeah. She's a very strong character. And her one weakness, it would seem, would be wanting to have Jesse back in her life when she can take care of shit on her own.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well well even there, the speech with the kids about, you know, you have to be strong and you don't need a man, but if you are lucky enough to find one and he fucks with you, (laughs) you need to have the wherewithal to hunt him down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas in the comic it was just like Oh, for some reason, I'm with Cassidy in Anvil, Texas, and I happen to see this church blow up.
1: Which is, but you know, in terms of that, when you talk about how certain characters are are supposed to be in their 20s, that is definitely what you would say if you don't have your shit together and you're fucked over in your 20s. Whereas later in life, if that happens, like ah, what is my time worth? <laughs>
0: like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And there, there's a certain amount of with with this character, she's moving on with her life. Yeah. I think we'll find out in coming episodes how much, I mean, and certainly part of the thing with Preacher, at least in the comic book, is that Jesse and Tulip are meant to be together. It's how the story ends. Yes. But we'll, we're going to have to see how much at this point of it is really, yes, I think we're meant to be together, me, Tulip, and you, Jesse, and how much of it is, you're a fucking pro and I need one. Mm. And I'm in Anvil, Texas, and I don't know any other <laughs> pros, and I can't do this job without... A wheelman, punch up artist, word of God, <laughs> Patsy. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever Jesse's role in the old team up was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: Yeah. It's just the moments with Jesse that she, look when we're introduced to Tulip in action in the comic book, she's become a hitman. Right. And botches the fucking job and panics. You know, and this one, it's, a, yeah, it's just a complete brawl. In the cornfield, she kills that guy, kicks him in the balls. With prejudice, like
1: a malice of forethought.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then later on, Jesse's like, what is this, an ear? No, it's my lunch. It's a piece of shawarma. So, <laughs> it's like, I don't care. Fuck it. You can get shawarma in Texas. No, you can't. In <laughs> Anvil, Texas, the closest shawarma zone is in fucking Austin.
1: I say, the closest shawarma is probably tacos al pastor.
0: <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Meat on a stick. Is that shawarma? Yeah. I've, I've still never had shawarma. I've seen Avengers like 46 times, but I don't know what they're eating at the end of the movie. It's it's like a gyro, but called something else. Oh, the look at Ms. Moneybags over here getting international food. Meat on a stick. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it rotates but, and you cut meat off of it.
0: Ew. <laughs> it makes me feel bad about me. <laughs> but, I thought it was a really good interpretation of the character. But yeah, the the trickiest thing I can see is, yeah, one of the big tulip moments and not in a good way in the comic book is, yeah, where she absolutely goes to pieces and falls into a bottle of fucking pills and lets Cassidy fuck her just because she thinks Jesse was killed. I don't see that in this character. And granted, I've only spent...
1: An hour and a half with her. Exactly.
0: <laughs> including commercials. But yeah, just based on this, I I can't see that. Not ending for her, but middle for her
1: yeah it would it would take a stretch to get there, but I think there's a certain point where she's going to need to be more honest about her feelings about Jesse in order to sell that
0: yes. Hopefully, we'll have a chance to get there. Or, more accurately, I never really liked that. Yeah, that arc was a deep icky. <laughs> yeah, it's. It didn't feel. You know, by the time that happened in the comics, Tulip was standing her ground with Jesse and Cassidy, just as a gun person, gunman mm-hmm. for gun person, as a gunman. Gun person sounds stupid. Gun. I don't know how gun woman sounds, but it doesn't have the same. Gunslinger? gunslinger, gunslinger, gunslinger works. You know, just wiping out Grail soldiers, <laughs> and for her to do, oh no, and now I shut down, and it made a certain amount of sense in the comic, if only because Ennis said that she had a similar reaction when Jesse left her before the comic started. Mm. So all right, there's a history of that. Even though I didn't like it about the character, because that doesn't seemed
1: seem... needlessly vulnerable.
0: Yeah, particularly for that character. Yeah. Even in the comic. If we're going to open with Tulip like this, (laughs) that's not a thing that I see on the horizon. No. Maybe they can just dump the whole thing. I I don't know. Enough stuff has changed. And what the fuck? There's only 10 episodes in the can. That may be all we get. I have no clue.
1: But, I, yeah, I, I like this character. I, th- I think if you're looking for um, a fun, strong female character in a, in a TV show, yeah, take a look here.
0: <laughs> she made a bazooka. She made a bazooka. <laughs> I, I can't make a bazooka. I can fire a bazooka if he gave me one. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, even fucking Arseface. We've only spent, like, one scene with him, but great makeup, relentlessly cheerful. See, I wanted him actually to be more
1: fucked up looking. Like, I mean, he's certainly fucked up looking. I wanted more. Because I, I keep thinking of like the Glenn Fabry cover, <laughs> like, well, sure. where like every awful imperfection is highlighted.
0: <laughs> and, and you can do that in a comic book when there's a real human being in that makeup. Uh, you can only do so much,
1: I would imagine. But it, yeah. It, he was he was great in the scene he was in. It's just yeah, the one that was the one moment in my mind. I'm like, he's supposed to be more
0: grotesque. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looked like a dude with a, a butthole mouth doing his best Conan O'Brien impression. Yeah, he really looked like Conan. He O'Brien. Did, yes. He did. <laughs> so that was a little distracting, but the characterization was dead on. No matter what happens to Arseface, yep. he just still thinks the best of everybody. Yep. Yeah, I mean, is there anything else that we've, we we want to talk about about this or? No, I'm curious
1: to see where it goes next week. I wonder to what degree that Jesse is going to start to struggle with this Word of God. Like, how quickly is that going to ramp up for him?
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be tricky because the Word of God was everywhere over the first uh, couple volumes mm-hmm. of Preacher, and then it really sort of faded out.
1: Well, because once you have something that is an immediate
0: nuclear option... <laughs> I don't even think it was, it was that. I think that Ennis started to realize that people weren't reading the book because of the word of God. It was he caught lightning in a bottle with three characters with a particular kind of relationship that mm-hmm. as it mutated and changed and fell apart really affected people. Yeah. And you don't need this MacGuffin of, you know, oh, and anything I say people will do. You don't need it. But people the one are thing, here for the the people.
1: Yeah, although the one thing I'm I'm curious about because they've gone out of their way to set it up that like only a very particular individual can host Genesis. Right. They've not not called it Genesis yet, but uh, <laughs> why why is Jesse special? And how quickly are they going to do a reveal on that?
0: I'm not sure it was ever specifically revealed. In the comic book. It you know?
1: wasn't, but in, since they've gone out of their way here to show that peop, there are at least three people who could not contain it, what makes Jesse special?
0: I mean, it's probably going to be as simple as the the contradiction. You know, if they keep the same origin of Genesis as being the offspring of an angel and a demon, mm-hmm. you know, somebody with that same kind of internal struggle. A I am balance a, of both. I am a bad man trying to be the best possible man in my community. Yeah. And it's a constant struggle if that's how it goes. And I, it, looking back, it was sort of implied or I inferred it that there was a certain amount of that in the comic book. It's much stronger right now because, yeah, the Jesse at the beginning of Preacher is like, you people are dicks, but I'm still trying to <laughs> – the, the, the whole fighting his nature was far less of a, an issue in that first issue. Right. So far, is this a worthy interpretation of the comic book? I would say so. It takes the greater themes and the tone of the comic book, but part of what really worked for me was, like I've said a couple times, it adults it up a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you get into that dark humor piece there, the, the sign in front of all saints. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where <laughs> Jesse goes out every morning. Clearly it's a routine, because some kid has fucked with the sign.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, but it's 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 a cheap joke, but it's a fun joke.
1: So you get, you know what should have been open your hearts and your souls says open your asses and your holes. <laughs> yeah. It's, By the it, end it says he is coming, and coming is spelled
0: coming. Like the porn. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, certainly the humor is there, and like we said, the, the whole tone of crime story slash western with the, the black humor is there. The tone is dead on, but making it a little more adult is I think what really struck me about it, because there's a theme here of trying to save your home. Mm. And that's adult, because like I said, the adolescent theme is trying to escape. You know, it's stand your ground versus born to run. Yeah. And stand your ground is more grown up. I'm and gonna
1: defend my home. i want to make it better. I'm gonna yeah. be involved in the community and be the change that I wanna see.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a I will shape my world as best I can Versus, fuck you, I'm out. Yeah. As, yeah, somebody in his mid-40s, that kind of tone appealed to me more than I thought it would when I heard it, oh, Dominic Cooper too old. Because, it, yeah, the comic meant something to me at a certain place and time. It doesn't mean the same thing anymore. But with certain moves that seem to be happening in the TV show, it could have a similar effect. Yeah. I mean, probably, you know, look, when you're in your 20s, it's this is the most important thing ever. Uh, this will likely be, you know, oh, they made changes that make this appeal to me. This is still a good television show. I mean, let's face it, it's a fucking television show. Right. No television show ever changed my life. WKRP in Cincinnati. Maybe changed my life. Radio, that looks fun.
1: <laughs> As opposed to, I'm going to throw this turkey off of a building or out of a helicopter.
0: I'm still going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when and I don't know how. But. It made me want to do radio because it looked cool. Mm. Uh, it's not; <laughs> radio is dead. <laughs> but, but making those changes, it, yeah, make me more excited about the show than than I was even when the announcement came through and the casting was. Uh, all right, we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, and no, I'm, I'm more inclined now to go back and and reread the series just so that I can, not that I want to turn a critical eye to the show, but taking a look at, are they going out of their way? I mean, how old is Seth Rogen? Uh, 98. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder He's if... a cloning accident. <laughs> I wonder if these changes also come with a shift in terms of, well, this is how I would look at the world at this age as opposed to from the age of the characters in the book.
0: Yeah. I'm sure that's got to be a part of it.
1: So, uh, yeah, I, I want to just kind of get in front of it in terms of, all right, let me look at these these original themes and have that in mind as I'm watching what was my other thought? I had a thought. It went away. Oh well. Booze. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yay! Yay! Booze. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else on preacher before we go to the comics?
1: Yeah, it's 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 weird. I now watch every AMC show, assuming that afterwards I'm going to be greeted with the smiling face of Chris Hardwick. So that was <laughs> <laughs> uh, tomorrow, Talking Preacher,
0: I believe, debuts. is there? Okay. There is. Yeah. Like death and fucking taxes. Death, <laughs> death taxes and Chris Hardwick. On AMC. <laughs> Anything else on Preacher, or nope. should we go to the...
1: Let's Now let's go to the the sadness place.
0: The equally uplifting comic books <laughs> of the week. <laughs> Which one do you want to start with?
1: Um, Captain America. Let's just get that shit show right out of the way.
0: Uh, <laughs> all right. Steve Rogers, Captain America number one. Uh, written by Nick Spencer, art by... Uh Jesus says. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Uh yeah, what a coincidence. We've had two books this week about legacy characters that don't seem to actually give a fuck about legacy characters.
1: You know, and on the heels of a television property getting a character so fucking right <laughs> and so yeah. nuanced and such an understanding of 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 that character and why they do what they do even when they take liberties, yeah, with the source material to then Read Steve Rogers Captain America number one and just people will, will say um with this, well, they'll they'll just reset and it'll be like it never was at the end of it before somebody goes on and does something new with Captain America. To go out of their way and, and they've been making Hydra um a generic organization that represents all evil. <laughs> Kinda um in the world. Hydra was it's a Nazi organization. The, the roots of it Captain America, the first thing we ever fucking see him do
0: <laughs> yes.
1: is punch out Hitler. <laughs> that was the point. <laughs> exactly.
0: That's exactly the point.
1: And so, spoilers, Steve Rogers is revealed to be a deep cover agent for Hydra at the or seemingly at the end of this yeah. book.
0: Oh no, supposedly yeah, he's Hydra and supposedly always has been. Yeah. That's the conceit.
1: That just is such an undercutting of, in my opinion, a character who is supposed to be, even more than Superman ever was, about truth, justice, in the American way that is a legacy character that goes back to World War II, Greatest Generation, all of the things. When, as bad as Civil War was when that storyline happened, you sympathized with Steve because he got it. Like, you know what? You're Personal liberties and your freedom and your ability to to move about and and not be restricted by government regulation, yeah, that should be the reaction that an American has to those restrictions that happened in Civil War and reflected in in the politics of the time in our country with all of the nonsense that was going on after nine eleven. Yeah, so to have that sensibility turned so on its head with I am a Hydra agent. <laughs>
0: That That's the thing. for This did not really have that huge an impact on me, except for the shock value. I was unspoiled on the ending to this comic. Yeah, it's it, it, we've ruined it. <laughs> we've yeah. spoiled it. Hopefully, before you want to be spoiled more, uh, just stop this show. Go out and look for it, based on the number of people who've said that they will never buy it. You shouldn't have problem getting a copy. <laughs> but,
1: yeah, you said our, our local comic book store owner had people come in and just before they even saw it, told him to take it off their poles.
0: Yeah, Uh, which is the only way I knew something was going on in it. But yeah, I was luckily unspoiled on the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, other than the shock value of, of, oh, wow, that's a shock ending, it didn't have that big an impact because for me it's really like when Dan Slott killed Peter Parker in Amazing Spider-Man 700. That didn't have a big effect on me either because I knew he was coming back. There was a fucking movie coming out. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing here. We all know it's going to turn out to be bullshit. This is a story that is heavy on shield. That means spies. That means double agents. There's your out. That's all it takes. And and I'm
1: sure, but it at the very least. I guess it's like you know when we were saying oh, okay Scott Snyder is doing these things with Batman let's give him the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> even-
0: <laughs> yeah and it was hard to do yeah. and it wound up being borne out that okay these things of oh uh, the, the Joker being the Eternal Man aren't canon what three Jokers motherfucker but
1: <laughs> yeah but you know even with this though out of the gate even if it's going to be some they're going to find some way to, to to get out of it you know he has done some reprehensible things that we've not seen. Steve Rogers do as Captain America. He's he's killed somebody who is seemingly on their side in order to protect his cover.
0: Yeah, and... See, that that was part of the problem I had. Number one, this did not... Like I said, it didn't have nearly an effect on me that the Watchmen shit in DC Universe Rebirth had. And part of that is Watchmen means more to me than Captain America ever did. So if he means more to you and you had a stronger reaction to this than I did, I get it, listener, okay? I understand, but to truly believe that this is the new status quo, you really have to just take a step back. You need to believe that the last X years of storytelling have been bullshit. Yeah to get on board.
1: Well, they, they do go out of their way to set it up in terms of let's look at all of the things that Steve has been in the past. He has been, you know, at, at his most ridiculous, um, a character who would put down a boom box to play fat beats while he would beat up <laughs> other characters. No, that,
0: that was Jack flag.
1: <laughs> no, but no, they were saying in here there was, ah, where's the page?
0: No, it was, it was Jack flag. <laughs> was it Jack flag? Yeah.
1: Okay. Or like a werewolf. They did talk about the werewolf. Um, Steve oh, yeah, Rogers. Here's the and... werewolf
0: thing. Look, this book is steeped in legacy. You've got almost everybody who ever worked with Cap. Rick Jones is back. Just based on the cover, we're going to see Sam Wilson. We have to see Bucky eventually. It's a book about legacy, and it kind of yeah turns that legacy on its head of, oh, everything you ever believed was a lie. And it's with DC Rebirth and the Watchman shit, what pissed me off about that as much as it has is it's the nature of their own multiverse, which they just redefined in print maybe a year and a half ago with multiversity. Right. Here, you're talking about 65 years of Captain America comics that you have to now think are bullshit. And you can make the argument that the events of Secret Wars modified Marvel history to make Cap okay as a member of HYDRA, but that would mean that Secret Wars is a reboot. And Marvel doesn't reboot, although apparently it jackboots. Ugh. Thank you, folks. I'll oh, be here all week. Oh, I will be here all week. Oh,
1: that was that was bad, and you should feel bad about that. <laughs> uh, but. yeah. I mean the only the only possible plausible explanation is yeah, this is a, a Captain America that came back from one of the other worlds, a world where yeah, he and his mom were recruited as as sleeper
0: hydra agents. Well, <laughs> I mean, look. If you're going to buy this, if you're going to buy that, oh, no, this is how it's always been, you have to believe Cap was a sleeper agent for Hydra going back to World War II, before World War II. Right. Which means that he kept his cover as he beat the Nazis down until almost the end of the war. Like it was supposed to be 1945 that he was frozen. So you could argue that he threw his final battle against the Red Skull and let himself be killed although it turns out that he was frozen, just to let the Red Skull escape, but that doesn't seem like a really good use of a valuable asset. Right. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And yeah, you've got to believe that somehow he has still kept his cover through years and years of battling with the Red Skull and Baron Zemo. Uh, Apparently the, the use of this high value, highly valued in S.H.I.E.L.D. asset was just to let those guys escape over and over again. Which doesn't seem plausible. I mean, the fucking Red Skull and Arnim Zola conspired to fucking murder Captain America at yeah. the end of Civil War. Why would you just throw out a high value asset? All right, maybe he was going to serve some time. We don't need him anymore, but that doesn't make any sense. No. It's Captain America. There probably would have been extenuating circumstances at the trial. He went it on eighteen months and been out working for Shield again. And you can use them. but you know what? The fuck. The Nazis are known for their long-term planning, like starting a two-front war with Russia. They're really smart <laughs> fucking guys. So the whole thing, it just it doesn't hold up. It doesn't make any sense except for the shock value. And once it becomes the shock value, I can't take it seriously anymore.
1: Are you saying that Steve Rogers, as an agent of Hydra, is is like fighting a land war in Asia?
0: Only an asshole would (laughs) win land war in Asia. What's the matter with you? Uh, Look, when Dan Slott killed Peter Parker, what we wound up with was a pretty decent examination of what it would mean for somebody to be Spider-Man without the power and responsibility motivation that Peter Parker has. Yeah. And it wound up being kind of interesting. Even though I knew from the minute Peter Parker died, he's coming back. So if... This story turns out to be some kind of examination of what it means to be Captain America with different motivations. Uh, Look, I I like Nick Spencer as a writer. I tend to like his more humorous stuff better. Yeah, I like the fix. The fix. Ant-Man, Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Great stuff there. He's clearly trying to do something different than that here. The only question is, is it this is a story that means a lot to me and I really have something to say with it? Or did Axel Alonso say, we need a big fucking thing to take away some of the vile fucking thunder from DC Universe Rebirth?
1: Nick, Nick, I, I got two words for you. What, Axel, and why are, you, why are your hands shaking? <laughs> Nazi cap.
0: Yeah, mm. it's, because it, it really just seems like a quick stunt to pull some press away from DC. And the proof is really going to be in the execution. If there's something to the story... To examine Captain America, or examine the idea of being a super soldier who grew up in poverty and who needed to turn to specialty groups and had to have differing—I mean, because that's that's where this comes from. You know, the mm-hmm. idea of community groups in the Depression helping to support people, be it the Communist Party or whatever. You know, up to the '60s in the Black Panther Party—that's something that has happened in history. And some of those parties have had reprehensible people at their top and have done reprehensible things, but have done good things for the community, if the examination is, okay, if I have loyalty because these people helped keep me alive when there was no money as a child, and yet I'm doing this, there could be something to that.
1: There could be, but it's still such a fundamental just devaluing and sellout of of a character who is supposed to embody what we view as traditional American ideals, and they're they're making the not so subtle political comment that those who purport to portray those ideals now are the the worst kind of of racist conservatives
0: <laughs> and there is certainly and spencer has brought up that he wants to do a kind of contemporary story and part of a certain candidacy i don't want to go yeah, uh, it's just, that's just why I was. I didn't want to... I want to reserve my vitriol for the fucking Watchmen characters in <laughs> <of> DC <laughs> Universe <laughs> Rebirth, so fuck the politics shit. But uh, yeah, he's said that he wants to bring those elements into the story and kind of examine what that level of nationalism can mean. There could be something here, but we don't know. All we know is this thing came from out of nowhere And dropped on everybody and seems to be a betrayal of what everything Captain America is. But again, take a step back. This is not going to last forever. Captain America is showing up in Infinity War Part 1 in 2018. Yeah, So we're going to... Look they made Cap Young again just in time for Captain America Civil War. Yeah. They'll make him not a Nazi again in time for Infinity War.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on here, too, because they talk about you know things that the government has done to, to cause the populace to lose faith. Maria Hill is the very obvious face of that with um, the work she did on Pleasant, um, what do they
0: call it, Pleasant? Escape from Pe- Pleasant Hill. Hill,
1: okay. I'd, for some reason, Maria Hill, and then saying Pleasant Hill, I'm like, I must be getting that wrong. But... <laughs> And you know, because that harks into you know what Guantanamo and like people who are being illegally detained and not given proper trials and
0: <laughs> no, it, absolutely it does. It, look, there's been a certain amount of thinly veiled political commentary in Marvel Comics going back to probably Civil War, yeah, the first one. So that's not anything new, and there's nothing wrong with examining politics, yeah, you know, in in a comic book. I, I mean. <laughs> The, the big thing Ed Brubaker got in trouble with was putting a Tea Party banner uh, on something in one of his Bucky Captain America books. And he yeah. took a ton of shit for it. Yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> Nick Spencer, man, cancel your email address, dude. <laughs> it's- but it, yeah it, it feels like a cheap gimmick the timing feels like a cheap gimmick coming up against dc universe rebirth well
1: looking at the at the speech that red skull gave in this um, i'm like well at least they can't give that particular
0: character an awful comb over like just... <laughs> oh god <laughs> true i don't get political <laughs> on this show god Damn it, some other episode maybe. But. I'll stop, but it's just that was my last observation I wanted to... Bottom line, it feels like a short-term effect gimmick just to take the sales out of D.C. But either way, it's not going to last forever. You know, I'm willing to see what Spencer does with it. And if my opposite opinion about feeling about what Dr. Manhattan showing up in D.C. Rebirth you know, makes you think I'm a hypocrite, well, the immortal words of Jesse Custer, go fuck yourself, I don't care. <laughs>
1: So I, I got some I got some room for some hate viewing um, Lucifer turned out to be okay <laughs>
0: very different from the comic uh, book from Mike Carey's comic but
1: but I didn't hate it so now I've got all this room for for something I can hate view there you go <laughs> I got
0: some free time all right you don't have that much free time because <laughs> unless you got something else on Captain America Rebirth no I don't uh, DC Universe Rebirth number one Uh, Written by Jeff Johns and uh, drawn by fucking near everybody, I think. Yeah, Uh, pretty much. There's like eight or ten different uh, artists uh, listed on this. (laughs) Do you want to start? (laughs) Uh, Do you have anything to say? Jeff Johns means well. He does, and that's the hell of this book.
1: You know what? I'm going to let you lead on this, and then I I will share my thoughts.
0: Okay. The first thing I noticed when I opened this book, and this is the first book, obviously, that I opened this week. I know. it's It opened by stepping on its own fucking dick. I mean, this is supposed to be the big, re- they're not calling it a reboot. It's a fucking reboot. It's supposed to be DC's big reboot. It's gotten mainstream press. Jeff Johns was on The Late Show with Seth Meyers this week. Uh, local radio stations have been advertising this book as a perfect jumping on point for DC Comics. It is supposed to, in part, get people who don't read comics to give DC a chance again. And at the bottom of the first fucking page of this book that is supposed to have that effect, there's a caption that tells you that you need to read Justice League 50 and Superman 52 first. Now, okay. you don't really have to. All you need to know is that New 52 Superman seems to be dead. Post-crisis Superman seems to have somehow survived Flashpoint. He's been living in hiding ever since. And Batman has learned that there are three, three Jokers. <laughs> But Jesus Christ, what a way to tell a potential new reader that even in a fucking reboot, they will never, ever be caught up with continuity. There's never, you're never going to know everything that you need to know.
1: It's so buy a, everything, as as long as you can, until you burn out. It's just,
0: it's a <laughs> terrible thing to do. It's yeah. just awful. and. With reading it, I found that, yeah, I probably didn't need to. As soon as I saw that, I put it down, and then actually I said this is the first book I picked up. It's not the first book I read. I went back and I read Justice League 50 and Superman 52. Those are really the only things that you need to know. Yeah, And there's, those particular facts are brought up in this, but there's no background to them. You don't really need them, but it's just, it's just such a terrible message to send on the first page of what's supposed to be, Hey, everybody, DC is back and good for everybody again. That's I'm the first fair. thing I noticed that pissed me off. And let's be fair, I was inclined to be pissed off about this because I know that Watchmen characters are going to have a role in it.
1: Yeah, and, and there's some some interesting kind of imagery that they open with that's clearly intended to to evoke Watchmen with this watch.
0: Well, the first page is a nine-panel grid of the internal workings of a clock. So it's telegraphed right out of the gate if you... Yeah, no it is, and,
1: and then later on when seemingly Dr. Manhattan takes the watch apart and puts it back together again, did you notice that on one of the cogs, just as you would find on the comedian's badge, there's a drop of blood in exactly the same spot?
0: It's the same spot, but it's not <laughs> the same shit. So yeah, It's not that, the
1: same shape. but come on. That, that you don't put it there without...
0: <laughs> you're right, and that didn't jump out at me because the big conceit threw out. The original Watchmen series was that shape. You saw that over and over again, right? So yeah, that didn't. Now that you mention it, oh yeah, yep, that's absolutely there. And yep, the perfect shape is on the clock on the last page of the story
1: on the wrong side.
0: Yes, on the wrong side, but it's not technically the comedian badge. So I don't know. Look, I don't. I don't fucking know what he has in mind. Here's the hell of it. If you take the watchman shit out of this, this is not a bad comic. Actually, yeah. <laughs> it's
1: actually pretty good. It's just the harbinger of it in the
0: back, like because you know that shit's coming. <sighs> uh, yeah, it it's like taking the uh taking the ESP test with Dr. Venkman. <laughs> you, you, you know, if you stick with it, you might actually show some powers, but you you can't really focus on anything cuz you know he's just going to fuck just with the Enzap.
1: Milgramming you the whole. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> So, it's you take that shit out, it's pretty good. The, the concept of multiverses being tied to the Flash goes back to Flash of Two Earths, you know, back in like the early 60s or late 50s or whatever. So, bringing Wally back feels earned. You know, there's been years of people asking about him at conventions. DC doggedly has not talked about him. And finally, it pays off. It pays off in an organic way that feels like it ties back to uh, not just Flashpoint, but Crisis. And I don't know if if Dan DiDio and Bob Harris have been keeping Wally off the board just for a reason like this, but it feels natural. And it's good to see that character again. If you were a Flash fan through the late 80s through 2011, that was your Flash. It's good to see that guy again. And clearly, the, the idea of legacy is all over this. We get Ryan Choi reintroduced mm-hmm. after they fucked the character up and wiped him out. Shows that Johns is really trying to bring the concept of that long-term legacy back to DC. Same thing with Ted Cord, although yeah. that kind of bummed me out, actually. That didn't really work for me nearly as well. I th- and I think... I'm glad to see him alive again. Yes.
1: But... Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to see where that goes, because the one character that we have not seen in here that was crucial in... The events that that led to Flashpoint and all that. There's no booster here,
0: right? And we will see them get back together again.
1: But in, initially, he's teaming up with
0: Doctor Fate. <laughs> yeah, uh, for some some reason. But Doctor Fate was part of the original lineup of Justice League International. It was, right. It was just Justice League at the time. But so I mean that kind of works. But what what bothered me about it was having Ted be more of a Blue Beetle fanboy trying to support Jamie Reyes. Yeah. Than really be the original Blue Beetle, which is fine, and it's a way to bring the character back. Yeah. And I would rather have him as a Blue Beetle fanboy without a bullet in his face than...
1: <laughs> I'm a, I'm more inclined to have faith in the direction that storyline goes because when the uh, Blue Beetle title actually drops, it's going to be written by Keith Giffen. Okay. Hey, perfect. So...
0: <laughs> he and John Rogers did the original Jamie Reyes stuff. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. So I I, I have faith there. It's going to be Keith Giffen uh, with Scott Collins doing the the art. Okay,
0: that's going to be August. Yeah, I'm just saying having Ted Cord be in this role, you know, where legacy just bakes off of this book felt a little off. But
1: I think I think we'll learn more because it's known that Cord wanted to be the Blue Beetle, even though the Scarab never went for him. (laughs) So he did what he could with his tech in the meantime.
0: Right. It's just a, with where he is here. He's clearly backfilling. He's like, "Hey, Jamie, I'll build this thing." Yep, it's the bug, and it's it's. Your but it back also gets
1: game. it does. It, but it's still true to Jamie, who's got this conflicted relationship. He's willing to use the powers from the scarab, but he still wants it disassociated with him as soon as possible. Sure. Like, I want it off me, but I'm late for school, so I'm going to use it to get to school.
0: Like, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, there could be some good stories there. It's just for, for a book that is screaming the legacy of pre-Flashpoint, it's, it felt that particular reveal. And again, I'm like, oh, Ted's alive. That just felt a little off to
1: me. Yeah, but I, I think it comes down to Booster's not there and the classic pairing of, of Booster and, and Ted With in the absence of that. Okay, so what drives Ted to be the Beatle?
0: Yeah, and there're certainly hints in this book that things will revert back to more of the original and it could be as simple as when Ted sees Booster for the first time outside of Justice League 3001, <laughs> which ended this week and god, I miss I'm going to already miss that book. That's not what we're talking about here.
1: <laughs> Happier things. Yeah.
0: So it's that stuff could all come back. It just felt a little a little weird to me here. Yeah. Particularly since, yeah, and I think you talked about this last week. Yeah, seeing Aquaman propose to Mera was one in the face of that whole Bob Harris. No more marriages. Yeah, there are no marriages. uh, Yeah, There are no grown-ups in DC Comics anymore. Yeah, it was kind of one in the face of that, which is good to see. I just wish it had happened with anybody but fucking Aquaman. (laughs) You damn fool! You're more useless than Aquaman!
1: And then we see, you know... Earth, whatever Superman with his wife
0: Lois and their child. I'm pretty sure they're just the pre-flashpoint. They're it's pretty much established they're pre-flashpoint. Somehow they got through it and they've just been living it incognito.
1: Yeah, somehow. But that that title is going to turn into um, it's Superman and Son. Uh, is it? Where is it? Yeah, Superman, Man and Son of Steel, and that's going to be um, in June 15th. Peter Tomasi is going to be writing that. So getting back to, you know what, what if we tell a story about a superhero who's also dealing with they have a family? What does that mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm proud of you. You read all the solicits in the back. When I got to the last Watchmen thing, I'm just like, oh, fuck you.
1: Honestly, I, I read Captain America number one first, and then I had to get up and walk around for a while. And then <laughs> um, then I read DC Rebirth, and at that point, I was just sort of like, you know what, I'm less angry about this. Other than I, I really still have a great deal of trepidation, trepidation about this Watchmen crap, especially when I saw again the, that that cog at the end with the obvious fucking blood spatter. It's like, come on now, yeah. So I wanted to see. All right, so you've reintroduced all of these characters. You got Teen Titans coming back. You've you've got Superman and his family. You've got um, you know Blue Beetle's back. Where where are they going? And and what are what are the solicits going to imply the storylines will take. Well,
0: you're much smarter than I am, because I just got pissed and walked away.
1: I, I think it's interesting that Supergirl, for example, is officially going to become an agent of the DEO, as she is on TV, and I feel cynical. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I, I did Again, I didn't read the solicits. I have no idea on that one.
1: They did give us a really brief cameo of Constantine ta- interacting with... And even, that was, thing.
0: even that was back to the old days of just Constantine and the Swamp Thing working together reluctantly. Yeah, but that, that felt right. <laughs> yeah, uh, there were plenty of moments like that. And having Wally not get recognized by Linda, uh, that was an affecting moment. It was. But yeah, that long stretch where Wally confronts Barry and basically thanks him for his entire life just before he's going to be absorbed into the Speed Force,
1: that was that was effective. And
0: yeah, when Barry finally recognizes him and saves him, that was a legitimately emotional moment. That was five years of the New Fifty Two tweaking and changing, and Batman fucking Catwoman and uh, coriander fucking anything. The walks mm-hmm. and Ted Cord's dead. It's a, okay. This is a pre-Flashpoint moment that's hugely earned. This was by DC. Yeah. <laughs> And if everyone had just used all those things and fucking stopped, I would be excited about Rebirth. And I think that's,
1: you know, we talked about this a couple of of episodes back, the idea that the way that fans become sort of emotionally invested in what they perceive as their character. And really, it's no longer just that character. It's like, you, you feel like you have to say, I'm a fan of this character in this particular arc as written by so and so over these issues.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I think, you know, when I was talking about, you know, Captain America, I I think it bothered me more than you because I found myself really on a on a level of with that particular civil war story, the idea that they were telling, it, they were having a character who wanted to in the face of all the 9/11 crap and as as we were watching people in the country go, well, you're not really a real American unless you think it's okay for them to tap your phones and get your information, the whole Patriot Act nonsense. Yeah. Um, You know, to have a character who's essentially coming out against that at a time when it was so politically volatile in our country. Sure. You know, that really resonated with me. So to see that subverted in this book bothered me. So I guess I can say, I'm a fan of that character in that particular snapshot. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then divorce myself from it. And and you know, likewise, in rebirth, there's going to be moments like the the Barry Wally exchange, where it's like, right, this rings true to me. This is the character that I loved. Yes. And then I'm going to try to, I'm going to take the parts that work for me and try to not get overly worked up over the parts that are so clearly sensationalist.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you could make the same argument that when it comes to the Watchman shit, it's a oh no, my versions of the Watchman characters were. And fucking Watchmen. Those are the ones. (laughs) Those are everybody's. Nobody's saying, you know, my version of Dr. Manhattan is in the J. Michael Straczynski version.
1: Make mine Watchmen, the real one.
0: Even Straczynski probably wouldn't fucking say that, for Christ's sake. And That's the problem. If they'd stopped and left Watchmen out, they'd already be on the road. They'd be on the road to what they want. But there is this Watchmen shit. And to be fair, we don't see Dr. Manhattan. We get a recap of when Manhattan tells Adrian that nothing ever ends, and sure, off camera somebody reassembles Wally's watch with the blood stain, but we don't see him. the The post crisis Superman with the beard meets someone who calls himself Mister Oz, mm. and if he's not Ozamandius after all this bullshit, I'd shit myself. That's who he's going to wind up being. <laughs> we see that co- he wasn't
1: wearing purple.
0: Well, uh, are you sure? I think sure so. it was green. Purple. I think it was green. I'm, you keep talking. I'll look. We do see the comedian's badge, like you said, hidden in the Batcave for some fucking reason. But yeah, there's there's that theory that uh, was advanced on Bleeding Cool that the comedian could be one of the three Jokers. Yeah, no, it's green.
1: He's I, I at least I first thought it was like the Specter or something. It's all it's it's very Specter looking.
0: Okay, it's still Mister Oz. Oh yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, the comedian's badge is in the Batcave, and uh, yeah, we had the theory that. It could be one of the Jokers. And yeah, if somebody could get me uh, a, and if the comedian's the Joker, we riot t-shirt and the Boston <laughs> Comic Con, I'll pay you back. But yeah, I can where I can see it coming is whether Joker ever found the Batcave or not has been a plot point of Scott Snyder's Batman for the last couple of years. Yep. So having the Joker be the comedian is a built-in reason for the badge to be there. Yep. Know, he's a Joker, and yep, it turns out he was in the Batcave. So I, I can kind of see where that's going to come from. But it's on top of that, there's also, and you and I, not on the show, but talked about this, there's a one-page sequence where some unknown party atomizes Pandora. Yeah, which is clearly
1: a shot-for-shot from the Watchmen comic for Rorschach.
0: Yeah, I mean, she was the mystery woman who was in Flashpoint and in every first issue of the new 52, and that page, yeah, it is a panel-to-panel mirror of when Manhattan kills Rorschach. Yeah. And it's weird because you can kind of see that as a passing of the torch. If you want to be optimistic, a passing of the torch from the new 52 back to sort of post-crisis by killing Pandora, you're making a bold statement that things aren't going to be the same as they've been for the last five years. But it's also even taking Dr. Manhattan out of it. It's like this weird repudiation of the last five years of comics.
1: It's they want to be all things to all people, but also have an opportunity to play with Watchmen in their sandbox.
0: Well, yeah, but even without Watchmen, it's, it's like they're saying the very impetus behind the idea of all these books that since September 2011, that for good or ill we've spent hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on, the whole idea was fucked from the start. Right. And you can make that argument, but that's a real world argument, not a comic story argument. If the decision for the new 52 was flawed on its face, it's not fucking Pandora who needs to suffer the consequences for it.
1: No, but we're not going to see a shot of Dr. Manhattan blowing up
0: Dan DiDio. (laughs) Somebody draw that for us. Email it to us at crisisininfinitivelives at (laughs) gmail.com. Bottom line, it's not, it's not a bad book. It does what it needs to. It lays the groundwork to finally undo the new 52, but it, didn't need anybody from Watchmen to fucking do it. And what value at 85 pages for $2.99? Uh, yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's already being reprinted in a prestige format for uh, $6. Oh, Christ. so so if, you, so if you missed it, don't worry. DC gets your money. <laughs> <laughs> what about this needed anything? If you change the comedian badge to the reverse flash badge, you, know, you dump the clock imagery and you get rid of that coda that references Dr. Manhattan. Hmm. It's the same fucking book. It well, does the same things that it needs to do.
1: Yeah. So why do they feel the need to bring in Watchmen?
0: It, cheap fucking buzz. Yeah. Get people arguing on the internet. And based on our last two shows, it's working. <laughs> working good. Yeah, and maybe attract some casual comic readers who like have read Watchmen based on, oh, the movie came out, so or I've heard good things about it. It was in times 100 best novels of the 20th century. And so oh, okay, so those characters that I liked in that one thing might be in DC right now. I'll go check that out. Not realizing the fucking damage to these characters that this could potentially do. Mm -hmm. Because you can't back this out. Once the genie's out of the fucking bottle, they're not going to be able to put it back in. It's a fundamental difference between what Marvel's doing with Captain America and what DC's doing with Watchmen. There's never been anybody at Marvel who said, "God damn it, I can't understand why we're not trying to make more money by Captain America making Captain America a Nazi." Nobody's ever said that ever. I don't know. It's possible at the retreat they decided, hmm, they might Nazi have no-
1: Captain America, space profit, like. like,
0: like <laughs> yeah, well, they have an open bar there, so a lot of shitty ideas <laughs> get thrown around, I'd imagine. But yeah, you've got to know that there's always been someone at DC who's been dying to just continually monetize Watchmen characters oh, yeah. outside of that original series. and That's how we got before Watchmen. Yes. God so, help us all. And now that the genie's out of the bottle, do you think anybody's going to fucking put it back? Uh, it, it's all about sales.
1: Yeah. It's all about sales. I mean, right now this is their opportunity. Okay, I always wanted to play with these characters. Well, then you better write some really good fucking stories that make it make sense cuz otherwise it's going to be like with the new 52. All of those like waves of titles, like some of them didn't last past six issues. So Yeah. So yeah, enjoy it while it lasts. Uh you may be summarily yanked off your book before issue 3. <laughs>
0: yeah. But it's now that you can do it. Somebody's going to do it. Everybody's going to say, "God, I always wanted to write my own Rorschach story." Yeah, and now you're going to be able to. You're not going to be able to unplug that shit. You know, it's I give it till January till we see Mister Terrific Nine, guest starring Ozamandius. <laughs> and actually, yeah, now that I've said that, I get Mister Oz. Yeah, yeah. You know, some he's going to be some weird alternate Earth amalgam of Mister Terrific, who's the third smartest person in the world. With Azamandius, who's the smartest person in the world. Does that make him the second smartest person in the world by default? It makes him fucking stupid because Osimondius is based on Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, who's a character that DC already fucking owns.
1: And they talk about that actually here. He goes to see Johnny
0: Quick and he makes a Thunderbolt comment. No, uh, that's Johnny Thunder. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, you're right. Yep, Johnny Thunder and makes a Thunderbolt comment. But that's, that's a completely different Thunderbolt. There's Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. Yes. And Johnny Thunder's Thunderbolt. One's, so much. One's the Wang. <laughs> I don't know which one. But, sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's goddamn fucking heartbreaking because if you take that shit out, this is a really good comic book that brings some well and long missed characters back in with some really good visuals. Everybody's art is top notch in this. This you take the Watchmen stuff out. It's a great book and maybe a great new start to the DC universe.
1: Maybe the only thing that I also have significant reservations about it, Wonder Woman for me is saved by the fact I know Greg Rucka is going to be writing it. Yeah, but out of all the reset, it seems like they're not taking it back to she was formed from clay and and sort of just a person on her own magically because of Hippolyta. Now it's and you have a brother like. <laughs> <sighs> Hey,
0: look, when it comes to these ongoing characters, there are going to be changes. And certain things, if they are found to be long-term detrimental to the character, will be retconned out. So the being made of clay, if more people feel that's the real origin than not, then what Brian Azarello did will eventually be retconned and faded away. I'm
1: hoping, because that was just such a colossal shit show
0: of a, a run for that character. And then
1: now to add on that,
0: and you've got a brother. <laughs> yeah. We did see Baby Darkseid in a cave, so yeah, and no vaccination needle anywhere. Nope. So, <laughs> nope, and mom covered in blood, Our daughter, mom covered in blood.
1: <laughs>
0: Darkseid got the Zika.
1: Isn't isn't <laughs> <laughs> so? Isn't Grail his daughter?
0: <laughs> I, I don't know. I just work here. I think so. Yes, but I forget how that all works out. It was creepy and wrong in bed. Yes, well, a lot of things in this were. It's uh, this, without the Watchmen stuff, and, and I get it, I can see exactly what, and we talked about this in last week's show, what Johns is trying to get across is the fundamental optimism of DC heroes was sublimated when Watchmen came out and everybody tried to go grim, gritty, and dark. So the last
1: comic book that he writes before he goes corporate as movie producer is let's try to swing it back to the Silver Age again.
0: Which is fine, but Jeff Johns always did that That's shit.
1: my point. Like, all right, this is, this is what I do, so
0: voila. Silver Age? Uh, yeah, he did it with Flash. He did it with JSA. That's his jam. Yeah. That's his, and to a certain extent, Mark Waid's back in the day. It's, and there's nothing wrong with Silver Age, but to say Watchmen ruin comics? That is such a fundamental
1: just fallacy.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a fallacy. It's disingenuous. There were various other people working in the grim, gritty, and dark area at that point. Batman's origin is by the guy who wrote The Dark Knight Returns, year one. <laughs> it's fucking Frank Miller. <laughs> but so what you're really saying is everything after 1986 is an invalid DC comic, and that's bullshit. That's not correct. That's the era that brought us Justice League international, motherfucker. It's about as grim, gritty, and dark as a fucking clown punch. And Dan DiDio tried to kill it repeatedly. God damn
1: you, Dan! Seriously. Um, You're always s- fucking doing this. Somebody wants to send us some art that uh, swaps out Pandora for Dan DiDio. Send it <laughs> at Crisis on Infinite midlives at gmail.com. gmail.com. <laughs> we'll put it up on the Facebook.
0: <laughs> oh, they- You pull the Watchmen stuff out. I unabashedly liked this book. Yeah. I really enjoyed it a lot. Everything between Wally and Barry was dead on. Yeah. You're fucking with a Jesus, and you can't fucking do that.
1: (laughs) Don't go all Big Lebowski on me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Did. Part of me wants to just say, failure, it failed because Watchmen's in it. I'm not sure I can really say that.
1: No, that that Barry and Wally exchange really tied the room together. Um.
0: <laughs> all right, don't sink to my level. It's not good for anybody. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I learned it from watching you, all right? Oh, but yeah, it's it's so goddamn disappointing because now, like I said, the genie's out of the bottle. Then mm. it's going to be, all right, what fucking rebirth do I have to see now to find out? That Eddie Blake is the Joker. Yeah, you know where's Rorschach? You know he's there somewhere. somewhere. <laughs> you know we've we've seen he'll we've, be in Arkham. Maybe we've seen that would seem the most likely place. We've seen Ted Cord. When does he team up with Dan Dryberg? and? Oh. <laughs> uh, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Now, put your hands together for the man who's falling apart before our eyes. I I don't don't want the Watchmen stuff. I I can't face it. I'm bummed out now. Yeah. Uh, All right. Anything else about uh, DC Universe Rebirth? Anything else?
1: It had potential to be good, but they, they, they overshot the mark by feeling the need to bring Watchmen into it.
0: That's the thing. It was good. It was perfectly good. But, you know you can bring me a fine double chocolate cake and if you let the dog lick it before you bring it to me.
1: But what if you don't know the dog licked it before it got to you? Yeah,
0: The, the dog blew up Pandora. I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hopefully next week will be cheerier.
1: I, I believe it will because at the very least, um, although we probably won't talk about it, there will be another episode of Preacher.
0: <laughs> there you go. All right. Anything else? no alright let's wrap it up then okay alright don't know where you found this particular episode cause we're friggin all over the place somehow but you can always find us at our home website crisisoninfinitemidlives.com we are on Facebook I've been doing shit with it this week I'm gonna try to keep doing it you should so our Facebook page com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives you can always send us a message there we're on Twitter Twitter handle is at infinite midlife we are on Tumblr I should do something with that someday <laughs> Crisis on com.
1: We can't do anything with Tumblr other than cross post. We're the olds.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's true. I'm not the prime Tumblr demographic. (laughs) But I'm potentially the prime iTunes demographic. We're there too. Uh, You can always find our show there. And if you do, do us a favor. Give us a rating. Give us a review. It helps new people find the show. We are on TuneIn Radio. We're on Stitcher. You can find us on Google Play. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. And you can always email us at CrisisOnInfiniteMidLives at com. Did I miss anything? I think you got everything. All right. Then that will do it. This has been episode 115 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlives show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. DC Comics is afraid of me. I've seen their true face.
1: I got nothing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>